face, 53 shots, lose control. This is Thomas. Thomas shoots. It's behind him. It's not going to go to For the first time since March 21st, the Sportscasters are back on the air. It is Steve Bennett, the host, after what has been a crazy, what, month and a half now. Uh, I've been teasing this on Twitter for a couple weeks. I even thought maybe three weeks ago, a good Friday, I would come back with Damon Hack, just do one interview, put a show up, and I didn't do it because... I was having issues, and I'm going to get into everything in one last thing. So what I'm going to do off the top is just try to get going again. I've had a tough couple days. Man, rust is a thing because I – all right, so I'll start with this. For the first time, we started this in 2011. That's nine years ago. Done about 300 episodes, two to three interviews an episode. And for the first time yesterday, I lost an interview. Uh, Adnan Verk was the second interview I did. I had done – an interview with Damon Hack, which is going to be on the next episode of the show. Uh, the next episode of the show. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I did an interview with Damon Hack. Calm down, Steve. Slow down. Slow down. All right. I did an interview with Damon. Everything went good. I felt good. I was back in the groove a little. And then it was time to do an interview with Adnan Verk for the first time ever on the show. I thought he'd be a great guest to kick us back off with. And we did a really great interview, 30 minutes or so. And about 24 minutes into the interview, I looked to my left at the computer and realized I had nothing. I was recording nothing. And what happened was, we were supposed to record with Adnan at noon. And Paula was in the podcast room with me. And she was just hanging out. And she was sitting on her chair by a microphone I have set up with her. And we're waiting 5, 10 minutes. And she starts to get bored. She gets off the chair and she goes under the table. And she's sitting on this box that... Originally, the box came full of books of SL Price's Al Quippa book because we got 10 of them to give away. And now it's I keep it under there and it's filled with other stuff. And she was sitting on that box. Now, from the table where the board is to across the room where the computer is, this one wire runs across the room. And it's covered by a Saints blanket where it meets the adapter that it plugs into. And she was sitting on that box. And apparently what happened was she sat on the wire and pulled it out of the adapter. But, of course, it being under the Saints rug, I didn't notice until 24 minutes into the interview. And I was just, my heart just sank. I was like, you got to be kidding me. So I had to go back to Adnan, tell him what happened, and hope he would kind of volunteer to do it again. Because I wasn't going to come out and ask him to do it again. I just kind of didn't think that was right. But he did agree to do it again. And it's going to be our first interview as soon as I'm done kind of introing what's going to go on today and this week and next week. So Adnan Verk on the program today. And it is, of course, the second shot, the second interview. Probably not as good as the first one we did. 
but nothing ever is when you, you try to I tried my best to just to do a different interview. I was like, you're never going to duplicate that one. Just go different. And I did the best I could. And I know he did the best he could. Um, we'll see. You'll have to let us know what you think of that one. Uh, but Adnan Verk, the first guest back. He's had a crazy couple months as well. He was fired from ESPN for apparently leaking a story to awful announcing. And a lot of people think that firing is bullshit. Uh, you can be the judge of that. He was on the Richard Deitch Sports Media Podcast, and they did a long, extensive interview about that. So I didn't want to redo that interview. So I tried to go some different ways. We did touch on it. Uh, but if you really want to get into the nitty-gritty of what happened there, there's a Washington Post article, and there's that interview with Richard. Now, of course, we should go back again now to March 21st when we posted an episode. Uh, and it was a good episode. It was Greg Bishop and Jeff Passan, uh, best man at each other's wedding, good buddies on separately but on the same show. Uh, and Jeff, of course, led that one. Greg with a really touching story on the Humboldt uh, Broncos. March 21st, right? So that day also the Richard Deitch Sports Media Podcast came out and I was on it. And I got a bunch of new followers, and I thought, well, maybe some people will listen, and we'll get some momentum going. And uh, then March 23rd came, and I ended up in the hospital, and I'm going to tell the whole story during one last thing. Uh, I'll tell you everything about what happened. And the show went dark until now, and we're back, and in a second, we're going to get to Adnan Verk. I'm going to update the book club. A lot's gone on with the book club. I had a chance to read some books. While we were gone and try to hunt down some authors, which is just never easy. I don't know what's with these guys, but sometimes it's so difficult. Uh, I'll tell you all about that in the book club. Uh, and then we're going to come back uh, and do an interview with Greg Wyshynski. Uh Greg Wyshynski was on episode two, season one, episode two of the Sportscasters. And I reached out to him and I said, Greg, I'm coming back. I need you. And he said, I know it's the NHL playoffs and I'm busy as fuck, but I will be there for you. And I owe him so much for doing that. We're going to talk on HL playoffs. We kind of just bounce around. Someone told me this show is loopy. I don't know what that means, but okay. Loopy it is. Uh, one more thing I want to mention before we start. And that is that Jeff Perlman has a web interview series called The Quaz. And number 403? 404? I don't know. The newest one is me. I was a member, or uh, I was in the Quaz, on the Quaz, whatever you say. I want to thank Jeff. Jeff has been on this show many times, of course. is a fan favorite. People love when Jeff and I just kind of shoot the shit, and we talk about that actually in the Quaz. Uh, you can find it at jeffproman.com slash Quaz or jeffproman.com slash steve-bennett. I'm really excited to be on it. It was really fun to do. It's something I've always wanted to do. Uh, I really respect Jeff and all the work he, he does, and it was an honor to be to be involved in that. So please check it out and, and maybe comment. I'm a little embarrassed there hasn't been a comment yet. Uh, I want Jeff to think it was worthwhile to have me, please. But sort of cool. I was on the Sports Media Podcast with Richard Deitch. Now I'm on the Quaz, and a whole lot of crazy shit in between that we'll talk about in one last thing. So this is what we have today. We're going to do Adnan Verk in a second, book club. Greg Wyshynski, one last thing. Then in a few days, I am going to post another podcast, uh, which will have Joe Buck and Damon Hack. 
Uh, Joe and I talk, look back at the NFC Championship game, with the fiasco there, what it was like to be inside the Dome. And we talk about parenting, and we talk about the St. Louis Blues, who he's a big fan, uh, who will be in the Western Conference Final. And that will go up this weekend. So Joe Buck and Damon Hack. So to come back this week, we have two episodes, four great guests, one debut. Uh, Joe Buck, man, the power of the show just... I've been booking my ass off. And then next week, I got a bunch more planned. Katie Baker is going to be on. Uh, who else is going to be on? Katie Baker. Jim Florentine said he's going to be on. Uh, so I got to record an interview with Jim Florentine. Just a lot of good stuff coming up. But let's start with what we have today. It's enough. I'm nervous, actually, to record my own podcast. And I know I'm talking fast and I'm scatterbrained and maybe a little loopy. Uh, but, man feels good to be back and if you're listening to this thank you thank you and listen to one last thing i got a story to tell all right we're going to take a break and come back with adnan verk Our first guest back is from East Toronto and grew up in Kingston, Ontario. He's a graduate of Ryerson. Spent nine years at ESPN and he's now with The Zone and he's a podcaster extraordinaire. And he's a very kind guy for doing this interview not once but twice. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Adnan Verk. What's up, Adnan? How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Steve. How you doing? All right, I'm not even going to try to lie. Uh, yesterday, Adnan and I hung up the phone around 1 o'clock Eastern time, and we said what we just did is going to win awards. I mean, we figured top three all-time podcast interviews. Like, We didn't want to go one right off, but we figured it was really good. Top three, figured awards, you know, which I've won awards, but I mean, winning one with Adnan would have been special. And uh, then I went to edit it a half an hour later, and there was absolutely nothing there. So... For the first time in nine years, I lost an interview and I had to crawl with my tail between my legs back to Adnan and uh, kind of beat around the bush and see if he would offer to do it again twice, which he did. Uh, so we are going to do this and see what happens. What did you think about yesterday? Like, give me, how would you like rate it? Like, how was I? How were you? Like, what, do you, what did you think when you hung up the phone before you knew I was an asshole who didn't record I, I, anything? I, I, <laughs> I thought we were both pretty good. I thought maybe I was a little long-winded, and uh, you probably could have had the uh, opportunity to ask a few more questions. So I figure being given a second chance means that uh, the Lord above is just telling me to uh, utilize a little more brevity. So I think there must be a meaning to all things, as always. In this case, uh, that's the reason behind it. Although I thought I was pretty candid, so I don't know if you're going to get nearly as good as good stuff out of me. I'll be honest. Second, second time, it's why I could never be an actor. People always ask me, you know, you love movies so much, if it's a cinephile podcast, why don't you become an actor? The reason is I could just never do take after take, along with the fact that I don't have movie star looks and short and all the rest of it. I just, I could never do take 67 with Michael Mann. That's why I love live television. You do one take, and if it stinks, well, who cares? It's off to Pluto. And if it's good, well, even better. Do you have an all-time blooper? I'm not one that comes to mind. I mean, I, I'm sure I've screwed up multiple times, but there's not one that I have like, oh, it was so funny when this was bad, or I, I received a good. 
you know, an outrage of fan mail or something like that, of, of hate or scrutiny. I don't know. I don't have one of those. I'm sure it'll come someday. You know who has really good ones is Mean Gene Okerlund. I don't know if you watched oh, wrestling yeah. growing up, but like he has that one where the SummerSlam sign falls off the wall and he's like, fuck it. And then they aired it by mistake, even though they had redone it. It wasn't a live take. <laughs> they screwed up in the truck. Oh. And, it, and he has the put that cigarette out one. Mean Gene's got good ones. And there's actually a guy on Twitter. His name is Richard Land. I don't know if that's his Twitter, at Richard Land or not, but he's been posting outtakes from Mean Gene stand-ups from 1984, and man, are they funny. Um, yeah, I would say that's why I try not to curse. Like In, in life, obviously, I, you know, once in a while you're prone to using profanity, but I find I try not to because then it's harder, to your point, when you're on TV and something screws up, that's a natural reaction to react that way. Especially now that I have kids, you have a child as well, a daughter, you don't you just... You try to refrain because I always worry that if you if you it's too hard to become a different person when you're on TV. It's better just to be. This is who I always am. There just happens to be a camera, and I, I talk the same. I use the same language, etc. That's always. I've, I've thankfully never been caught using profanity with a lot. Mike, my wife and I had that moment with our daughter where we were, we were um, all watching TV, like you know, like late at night. She's getting ready for bed, and I had like a Snapple bottle on the ground. And I stood up and kicked it over. And I was like, oh, son of a bitch. And Paula just looked at me and she goes, oh, son of a bitch. And I'm like, oh, man, I can't say this stuff anymore. I got to learn, you know, like I used to watch The Sopranos with you and I was feeding you and I can't even think about that anymore. God forbid. But man, just like, oh, yeah, geez. I think about that just to you, right? When we can watch like movies and shows the objectionable conduct with our kids. Yeah. You and f- I have four boys. My eldest Yusuf is turning 11. Adin is eight in July. My son Shaz is two and a half. My little guy Maz is six months. So I wonder, like, you know, I adore Scorsese. People know how much I love Pacino and De Niro. Like, when can I start to watch Goodfellas with my kids? I worry. I don't know exactly. Like, The Sopranos, to your point, it's my favorite show of all time. I don't know when I can watch that with my children. You know that part in Big Daddy? Have you seen Big Daddy with Adam Sandler? I haven't. I'm not a big Adam Sandler fan. Okay, well, he's got, he, he like, I don't know. It's a convoluted. It's obviously you know a thin plot. It's a Sandler movie, whatever. But he he has this kid that he adopts, and he says to the kid at some point, like, "Look, it. I'm gonna take care of you, and I'm gonna try to show you some cool shit along the way, you know." And like, I want to do that with my daughter. Like, we watch the A Team together. You know, she knows more about the A Team than any three year old in the world. You know, we watch wrestling from 1985 together. You know, I play her Pearl Jam because I love Pearl Jam. Like, I just want to show her cool stuff and. My wife has the same approach, and what she thinks is cool is different, so she gets this kind of mix of the two of us, and I think that's good. But then there's this whole other, like it's like an, an, a box that I have to keep all this other cool stuff in that I just can't quite show it yet, <laughs> but someday. Yeah, you'll find that happy medium. You'll kind of figure it out as you go, I think. That probably makes the most sense. But I think there's nothing wrong with passing on something you love to your children. That's probably one of the great uh, joys of uh, fatherhood, certainly, and I'm sure motherhood as well. Uh, I remember, I think, in the movie Boyhood, where Ethan Hawke is so excited. You know, he's got a mixtape for his son, playing different songs the Beatles. He's trying to explain, you know, why he likes the Beatles so much. I think that's a natural impulse. Yeah, I mean, some stuff she likes, some stuff she doesn't. Whatever, you know, it's just, it's fun to show her stuff. And, um, you know, it's the coolest thing to, like, take her to Grandma's and say, Paula, tell Grandma who the head of the A-team is. And she goes, Hannibal. <laughs> Duh, Dad. You know what I mean? Like, that's the coolest thing ever. My Grandma's like, the A-team yeah. is still on? I'm like, yeah, my house it's still on. It's never been off. <laughs> but uh, listen, I think this was a good one yesterday that I want to try again because you killed it on this one. So let's throw this one in twice. Um, I was mentioning – you mentioned Richard Deitch, and I mentioned how 
leading into this interview, a lot of people had kind of asked me, you know, how much of the ESPN stuff are you going to cover? And I said, you know, he just did that on Deitch, and I don't want to do the same interview that he's done already. But I did want to ask you, and I did yesterday, and I'll ask you again today. Now that you are got some space between what happened and you have your next spot in life, you know what you're going to do for the next period of time, how much of you feels like it happened for the best, that this was just part of your destiny and that you're following the right course and that, yeah, it sucked in the moment, but now, hey, it kind of worked out anyway. Yeah, I mean, I've been very reflective about the whole journey, and um, that's always been my approach is to trust in God, and, and wherever the day takes me, I'm as long as I've got my health, uh, that's that's the best aspect of it. My wife, Eamon, and my four boys are taken care of. My parents are thriving. That's really my focus, and as long as you've got that, you know, jobs come and go. And uh, certainly it was a harrowing experience. It was very, very difficult. It was uh, scary. It was unsettling. And, um, you know, I'm deeply sympathetic to anybody who goes through anything where they lose a job, whether it's deserved or not deserved, whether they're laid off or fired. Um, and for the record, I've never met anybody who was fired who feels it was properly done. And, and I didn't agree with the ESPN's decision February 1st. And I certainly don't agree with it now. I thought it was draconian and, and an overreaction. And I think if you ask anybody at ESPN about me, um, the book would always come back this way. This guy's a hardworking guy. He always sacrificed his personal and family time to work. He never said no to an extra shift. He did virtually every show in television, whether it was college football final, baseball tonight, college basketball live, sports center, outside the lines, NBA in the paint. Um, obviously, Oberman. Um, and on radio, I did Mike and Mike, Golic and Wingo, Rosillo show, Gottlieb show, did a weekend show with John Stashauer. I mean, filled in on Darian Mel. And then, of course, my own podcast, The Cinephile, which was a labor of love. I did it for absolutely free. I lost money on it, I think, because when I went to Sundance, I don't think it's true. When I went to Sundance, I had to pay my own way to get there. I took days off from the company. I'm using vacation days to do that. Um, and that's just the guy who I am. I was just very, very dedicated to ESPN, always willing to work hard and go the extra mile. And I take pride in my work, took pride in working at ESPN. And I was very um, appreciative of all that my bosses and all of my coworkers did for me and all the opportunities that they gave me. So... You know, my situation, if I said to myself, hang on a second, you got a guy who really works hard, who's collegial to all, who is well-respected and well-liked by all of his employees, and then something happens, I mean, I, we've kind of figured out a way to make this thing work. I wouldn't have fired a guy who was able to contribute all the things I'm able to do and had that kind of versatility and work ethic. But that's just me. And, and ultimately, what happens is that I have nothing but good feelings towards ESPN because of all the good that they gave me. You know, if you focus on the final 72 hours of my nine-year run there, Certainly, you can have emotions like frustration and anger and sadness. And the fact that it was publicized in the New York Post, you know, it's... But again, you're, you're a public figure, so you got to take the good with the bad. But obviously, that was very traumatic, not only for me, but for my wife and for my mom and my, you know, my parents and all my cousins and my friends. I was wondering just what the hell happened. And, and obviously, I didn't agree with everything that was written in that article. And from little things to even... I, I remember reading some stuff that was saying the native of Pakistan. I'm like, no, that's not true. I was born and raised in Canada four-year deal. No, that's not true. It's a two-year deal. So it's, it's a good reminder to everybody, Steve, but, you know, it really is true. Whatever you read is not true. And uh, there's going to be falsities and, and there's always two sides to every story. And I think I was smart and that I did not lash out. I did not start tweeting. I had wonderful agents with Nick Khan and Matt Olson at CAA, terrific lawyers with Mujahid Late and Neil Brickman who were advising me along the way. And just, you got to just kind of keep your head down and go. And I'm really grateful that I had so much support, not only publicly from all my friends and family and fans, but also people within ESPN. And to make it clear, they were not denigrating ESPN. They were simply my friends saying, listen, man, you did a whale of a job for us. You always worked hard. You always went above and beyond. You're a great guy. You have a wonderful family. You're married with four kids, including a newborn son. 
We wish you nothing but the best. Anything I can do for you, please do let me know. And uh, I'm so grateful to all of my friends there at ESPN. And that's why I could never root against the company because I have so many friends there. I mean, I, I received hundreds of text messages and, uh, you know, Twitter DMs and, um, you know, on Instagram, people just reaching out and saying, hey, hang in there, man. I've been through some adversity and it's really hard for me. And, you know, I'm there for you, anything you need. So I, I was very, very touched and moved by all of that. I think the best way you equate it is that it's like a relationship. You know, you're with somebody for almost nine years. And you have ups and downs like any relationship, and then something happens, and she says, get out. And you go, hang on a second, like, can we work through this? She goes, no, I'm dumping you. I don't want you in my life. Get out of here. And uh, you go, all right, well, I, I didn't think this was going to go this way. I was feeling pretty good about a relationship, and all of a sudden I just got blindsided, and now my stuff's out in the lawn, and I'm going to go find somewhere to live. But okay. And, and one door closes, another door opens. And that's why I'm so grateful to DAZN and my old boss, John Skipper, and Jamie Horowitz, who was so instrumental in getting me here. And now I have a whale of a job, man. I get to work at uh, MLB Network slash NHL Network. That's where our studios are in Secaucus with the zone, this international streaming company, which is uh, number one in Japan. It's, it's huge success in Germany, just opened in Brazil, has roots in my native Canada. Um, so all of that kind of dovetails together. And, and ultimately, when I look back at ESPN, like I said, I have nothing but gratitude for all that they gave me, particularly the people who were there when I first started in May of 2010. Laurie Orlando, who was the head of the talent department at that time, John Skipper was my president. John Wildpack was our vice president of programming and production. Um, you know, Lee Fitting, who gave me a chance in college sports. Mike McQuaid, who gave me a chance on baseball tonight. You know, those are the people that are most interested. Pete Genesini, who gave me my podcast in a file. You know, that's where you start to rack it up, Steve, and you go, okay, this was the bitter end, and this was the frustration. But you got to cover four national championships for college football. I did a couple of World Series. I mentioned all those shows I did. I got to call games at Yankee Stadium, Fenway Park, at Wrigley Field. Not many people can say that when it comes to the Holy Trinity of baseball. And my favorite broadcaster of all time is Keith Olbermann, and I got to fill in 25 times for Keith. Had to develop a relationship with KO. He tweeted me yesterday about my uh, Chris Sale tweet about an immaculate inning. So uh, I had incredible opportunities. I hope that people at East Penn recognize how hard I worked and how well I treated people and how much value I provided to the company. And in turn, I expressed that sentiment to them as well, which I did in, in my parting statement. I said, I'm, you know, while the events of my departure are certainly disputed, uh, I'm nothing but grateful for all that I was given, and uh, it was a hell of a ride, man. I never would expect it. A small-town kid from eastern Ontario who worked nine years at ESPN. I'm one of a handful of Canadians to ever work at ESPN, along with my dear friend, the late John Saunders, who was also a Ryerson guy, also a Toronto guy, uh, who I'm sure is up in heaven beaming at uh, all the adventures that we've gone through. David Amber, my buddy, who was so instrumental in helping me at ESPN, a fellow colleague from TSN back in the day. And now we've got a new Canadian starting at ESPN, Nabil Kareem. So... Uh, the trend continues, man. It's been it's been a lot of fun. I like to say I'm so grateful for all the support I received from all the people out there. And don't forget Barry Melrose. Barry Melrose is also noted Canadian. I was focusing on the anchors. Okay, fair enough. Right. If you want to go that way, <laughs> I, no, don't go that Dan Shulman. No, that, that, nobody better than Dan Shulman, best play-by-play guy around. Uh, Shulman, I grew up admiring and listening to on the Fan 590, and then of course he's called Jays games. And um, God, I mean, the fact I get to uh, the, the first time I tossed to Dan. I was doing ESPN radio. I said something like, back to the man, the myth, the legend, or something like that. And Dan said, oh, I didn't work. You know, we're from the same area. He's doing a great job here. I had that clip clipped off, literally, on my email just because I, I got such chills. I'm like, oh, my God, Dan Shulman knows who I am. So uh, not that I quite have that feeling with Barry Melrose. I, mean, I like Barry. Right? I didn't grow up you know, admiring uh, the 93 Kings the way <laughs> I did Shulman a little bit. Check although your Barry, sticks, I may boys. work with the NHL Network. Yeah, although, although Barry, I may work with the NHL Network because I may do some stuff for them in the offseason. I, I have no idea what my schedule will hold, but uh, – Barry does do some stuff for NHL Network. So I may have a reunion of sorts. That's part of it, too, as you know, is that it's a small industry, Steve. 
I just covered boxing for DAZN, the Canel Alvarez Daniel Jacobs fight, which was a great fight. And sure enough, Todd Grisham is calling the fights in the undercard. Todd was at ESPN from 2011 to 2016. His desk was right next to mine. So we got to catch up, have great laughs. He's hysterical. And Brian Kennedy was calling the fight. Of course, worked at ESPN for a long time, left in 2011, but I knew him for a year. We overlapped there at ESPN. And of course, I was hosting the coverage. So it's a small industry, man. And uh, that's one thing about ESPN. They have great people there. Not only the producers and the researchers and behind the scenes people there are great, but people go on, you know, they, they train you so well. You end up having a wonderful skill set because ESPN's way is in many ways the best way. And they're, and they're a very smart organization and have very talented people. So again, I'm not only grateful for what I got there at ESPN, but the tools that they gave me have helped me now in my new career because, you know, you learn from the best. You were talking about, you kind of made an analogy, like, you know, the relationship thing. And I just want to pick up on that because nothing kind of illustrates your point and kind of backs you up more than the girl's father kind of hiring you for your next job, right? If that holds up, that skipper is kind of like the father and he hires you. That kind of shows that, man, maybe something happened at the end and there was a disagreement. But, you know, if you were beating his daughter, he wouldn't hire you, right? So obviously... He looks at you as someone who cared for her during the meat of the relationship. If that holds Yeah, up. I mean, we exchanged emails. We exchanged emails, you know, once I've been hired. And uh, he said, you know, I didn't have nothing but fond memories of when we were together. And I'm thrilled that you're available. And as he told Ben Strauss of the Washington Post, for people who want to know, you know, more of the details of what happened, uh, John was quoted in that article with Ben saying of me, you know, my general reaction to his availability was one of delight. He said, uh, nothing about his behavior gives me pause, and I'm just excited to have him. And in fact, Ben wrote a new article today in the Washington Post about the zone and change of specifically. And uh, John was quoted as saying that, you know, I hired Adnix. I know he can be a great host. And um, that's as simple as it gets. You're right. If you draw that analogy, you know, I just saw John in Vegas. I didn't see him in a year and a half, of course, since he left ESPN. And it was just good to catch up. Like you said, it was just, you know, it's an old friend and a boss who I had a great relationship with. And we were talking about Vegas and telling old stories. And uh, he's a great guy. I mean, he's He's got that southern charm for days. God, I wish I had an accent like him, but it was so uh, disarming. Every time he speaks, it's just uh, dripping with honey. But he's also very smart, and you can see what he built up at ESPN in acquiring so many live rights and um, really being very forward-thinking. And I think he's going to bring that same leadership capability to the zone. You do a really cool wraparound baseball show now at the zone. And we, we were talking about how a couple nights ago you missed a no-hitter. And I was kind of talking about, but the cool thing about baseball Everyone always says this is every time you go to the park, you see something different. And then last night you, you tweeted about it, an immaculate inning. What was it? Nine pitches for three outs and three K's. And that's only happened like 96 times in baseball. And I was thinking, man, 300, no hitters, 96 of these. It's three times more. It's kind of crazy. So something different's always yeah. happening. Yeah. No, I agree, man. Like that's, and it was alerted to me by our, our researchers. They're phenomenal. You know, our researchers are really good at ESPN. They're so smart. And as I always say in television, you know, I'm like the, the quarterback is the host, but the uh, head coach is like, you know, the producer, like the offensive coordinator almost. But the offensive line is our researchers. I mean, they have to protect me. they got to cover my blinds, and otherwise I'm going to get sacked and go down in a hurry. So the researcher is the one who alerted me to that. And you're right. And immaculate to me, that's just so cool. 96 times in baseball history, nine pitches, three strikeouts. Sailed in it last night. I mean, if you're a baseball nerd like I am, I don't know how you don't appreciate something like that. And that's what we're showing on Changeup uh, every night, Monday through Friday, uh, 7 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern. And then on the weekends, 10 to 12 with the Cespus Barbecue guys. And I'm having a blast. I work with Scott Rogowski, who's a really funny guy. You know, I've worked with analysts who 
But the ESPN model you always defer to and get their expertise. I've worked with other anchors uh, who are formerly trained broadcasters like myself. I went to Ryerson, Radio Television Arts. And so Scott is not that. Scott's a comedian. Like, he literally, if you asked him his job, he'd be a comedian. He just happens to be a gigantic baseball fan, an avid baseball card collector, memorabilia. So uh, working with him is a blast. And uh, whenever we see stuff like what Sale did last night, we both nerd out about it. Have you had a chance on MLB Network to work with Chris Russo at all yet? Uh, I haven't. I worked with Chris once when I was uh, filling in on Get Up, one of the many shows that I filled in at ESPN. I did not mention that one. But, yes, I worked with uh, Mike Greenberg a few times there. And one day we had Russo. And, God, that guy's phenomenal. <laughs> I mean, literally, on first meeting, he just hugs you. I mean, he's awesome. Oh, that's a good and, job. That's uh, a good job by you. That's a good job, Ed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 imitated although never do du- often imitated never duplicated and when greeny brought him on the show he of course did that and russo's like pumping his i'm like yeah 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 like he's, <laughs> he's got so much energy man he comes in he's like high-fiving the entire like show staff like he's just he's an awesome guy and uh, i don't always agree with his baseball opinions he's not nearly in the senior metrics as much as i am yeah he's old he school jeff kendrick in the hall of fame which i think is insane but i know he's a huge giants fan so i get it but I love his passion. I love his energy, especially when he loves, you know, he and I both big baseball fans and big tennis fans. So I like that about him on uh, multiple levels, but I haven't, I haven't run into him yet. Although at MLB network studios, the producers have told me that you got to go just to the production meeting with, with Russo. They go, that alone is hysterical, which I can imagine would be pretty funny to be a fly on the wall. The sportscasters are here with Adnan Verk kind of finishing up. We got a couple minutes left. You can follow Adnan. He's at Adnan S Verk. I was screwing that up yesterday. So I'm glad I got a chance to fix that. It's at Adnan Asverk on Twitter, and you got a new podcast rolling with uh, Michael Lombardi. He's three-time Super Bowl champion. A lot of people know him from podcasts with Simmons. Um, he did a lot of those back in the day on the BS Report. Um, how did it come about? How did you uh, end up linking up with Lombardi, and what makes you most excited about the partnership and the podcast going forward? Yeah, that was my first stop on my comeback tour, and uh, I met with Cadence 13, the production company. They were awesome. They just said, you know what, we're we're thrilled to have you, and we think you're a huge talent. And um, essentially, want to pair you with Lombardi, who we became fast friends immediately because he and I both agree that Sopranos is the greatest show of all time. And he's so good. He, he knows so much about football. He's a three-time Super Bowl champion, and he's funny, and he's smart, and he's got great anecdotes in a way of relating the game so well. His book is a must, great iron genius. And um, sometimes you don't have to ask why. You just have instant chemistry with somebody, and me and Mike have that. We've done five podcasts. The pod's called The GM Shuffle. It's on Apple Podcasts, and uh, after every time we work together, he'll send me a text, or I'll send him a text to say, hey, man, this is awesome. Like, I hope we do this for the next 10 years because um, he's just warm and, and endearing and, like I said, funny, and he's outspoken. I mean, the biggest thing you want in sports is a guy who's unafraid to give his opinion, and he is unencumbered by any sort of uh, social conventions or judgments. He's going to lay it down and really smart in the way he sees the game. So I recommend people check it out. And what uh, Chris Corcoran and Creighton's 13 told me was, if you do this, we'll also provide an outlet for your podcast, Cinephile, which is, of course, a real passion project for me and a real labor of love. Everyone knows for me, my, my twin passions in life are movies and sports. And, um, again, grateful to Pete Genesini at DSPN who allowed me to do a podcast, which was entirely about movies, nothing to do with sports, called Cinephile. The great Dan Stanzik, who was a good friend of mine, and he produced it for free. And because of that, Ben Lyons became a really good friend and is a phenomenally talented human being. He got me the Oscars. So, again, by virtue of doing something for ESPN for free, I was able to work the Oscars, the Academy Awards, literally. I mean, it's a childhood dream. I worked for the Academy doing their Facebook live stream on Oscar.com 
was a part of one of the most magical moments ever in Oscar history when Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway screwed up the Best Picture uh, winner in Moonlight. And, and I had Barry Jenkins on my pod, and he's a great guy. And so I'm going to be rebooting Cinephile as well. You know, after my firing, it was the number one question ever kept asking me on Twitter. I'd be on the streets. I swear I'd take my kids to school. I'd be like, what about Cinephile? Like, who cares? But he's banned. What about Cinephile? I'm like, no. Thankfully, the movie podcast will be back. I'll be doing my reviews and uh, giving my take on film. So Cinephile will also be coming soon, maybe in June, I think, to K-13. And for now, check out the GM Shuffle, man. It's uh, I love podcasts. I'm sure Steve, you and I could both talk about podcasts and the particular delight that they provide. But I'm a podcast junkie. I think it's the best. I can't wait to listen to the show with Lombardi. The thing is, is I've been a Saints fan since 1987, my whole life. And when the game ended, uh, I told my wife, I said, I, I just need a break. I got to tap out on football. I watched the draft a little bit, and um, that's all I've done. Like, highlights come on, switch, anything. Like, I just needed I just needed a long break. So when September comes, probably before that, when training camps start, Hard Knocks comes on. I'll get back in football mode. I'll get excited to see Drew Brees put a Saints helmet on. It gives me chills every time I see him out there. He's made every sports dream of mine come true. Um, and I'm so angry for him more than myself for sure because he had he would have had a chance to play a Super Bowl against Tom Brady and maybe beat him and be able to retire with a Super Bowl ring against Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. Uh, but it wasn't. It didn't happen, and I just need a break. But I'll get to the podcast. I promise. And I will message you and tell you how great it is. Uh, dude, sure. dude, you'll enjoy it. You'll enjoy it because we're not. Cause the thing about Lombardi is he knows football is twenty four seven. I mean, there's always something happening. He can really explain what front offices are doing and players are going through. And speaking of Drew Brees, I love the guy too, man. I I called like four celebrity softball games for ESPN. He played in the one in San Diego, and I remember getting a picture with him and my wife, and uh, I believe two of my kids at the time. And he was a super guy, man. He, he is as classy and generous as you'd expect. I love Drew Brees. And he's a great athlete, too, huh? Like, he played – you like tennis. He, I think when he was a senior, I think Roddick was a freshman in Texas, and they played against each other. I'm pretty sure Brees – Oh, really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure Brees won. But like I said, Brees had a couple years on him. But, yeah, they played high school tennis against each other in Texas. So that's kind of cool. So he's, he was, like, just a great athlete in general. Yeah, it's funny you mention that. We had John Smoltz on our show. Change Another up. great athlete, right? Because, uh, again, yeah. oh, my God, he, yeah. he is a Hall of Fame pitcher, as we all know, but also, you know, qualified, I think, for the senior tour. Like, he's an incredible he's golfer. He's like a scratch and, golfer, yeah. Yeah, and apparently he's an incredible ping-pong player, which I didn't know. He told me last night, like, he's unbelievable ping-pong. In fact, I said, what do you think your best sport is? He said, ping-pong. Like, he'd put ping-pong at one, baseball at two, and then golf at three. He said, anybody who's, like, he'll challenge anybody to a ping-pong match. Like, I had no idea John Smoltz is a killer ping-pong player. I wonder who would win, John Smoltz or Forrest Gump? I mean, Forrest Gump, Forrest a little Gump. overrated, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> probably not him, but no, no, high, good ping-pong. Highly overrated, Big... not only as a character, and it's a movie. I mean, he's, the entire <laughs> film was Robert Zemeckis' uh, exercise in emotional manipulation. <laughs> it is uh, about as saccharine and about as uh, overly sentimental as you can get. And it's, what adds to the fact that it's a terribly overrated movie is the fact that it actually won Best Picture. I literally can't see with a straight face over Pulp Fiction, one of the most influential films of its era, and The Shawshank Redemption, which is one of the most beloved films of its era. I, I, it still boggles my mind. Forrest Gump, anybody could actually like that movie. Did you hear that there was a script for a Forrest Gump 2 and the movie starts with the kid having AIDS? I'm like that is a horrible way to start a movie. Who, what, like who's? Yeah, that? I saw that tweet, and I and, and they said you know they were going to do a sequel, but thankfully thought better of it. And I said, well, if only we'd been spared the original, we truly could have been happy. <laughs> Just crushing Forrest Gump. Oh man, 
Ed, now let's get all the stuff in. I want to get all the plugs nice and, and polished and in. So it's at Adnan Asverk on Twitter. And that's probably the best place to catch a link or whatever. Uh, the podcast with yeah, Lombardi. On Instagram as well. On, on Instagram as well. Adnan Asverk. Same handle. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, we got the podcast with Lombardi. Uh, the GM file is that what GM it's called? Shuffle, shuffle. Yeah, the, the GM shuffle. That's an Apple podcast. Yep. Subscribe, yep. rate, review. Tell your friends. The zone is uh, the place to get the Major League Baseball show every night, and all the boxing is going to be there. Anyone who loves boxing and baseball, the zone is going to be for you. I know there's a lot of subscription services, and at some point, there's probably going to be a breaking point, but it's not going to be with the zone. That's something you need um, to get Adnan's baseball show, which is like a red zone for baseball. And um, exactly. under hundred under hundred bucks for the year, so eight thirty three a month, pretty good. You can get like you said the Canelo fight we just had. We got Triple G coming up. We got Anthony Joshua, like you said, baseball every night. And what was the Canelo? Like, let's say the Canelo fight was a year ago, that would have been seventy bucks on pay per view, right? So if you get that, if you were going to hundred percent, man, if you were going to get that, you're eighteen bucks away from the for the year. So no brainer. Um, the Cinephile's coming back maybe around June, he says. And um, do we got all the jobs and stuff? Is that everything? Yeah, I feel like I've got a couple more coming soon, too. But I mean, for now, I think that's pretty good. I, I, you know, listen, at Eastman, again, you can ask anybody about building. What was the book on me? It was I was always working and always doing everything. So this shouldn't be surprising to somebody that, um, you know, six weeks after being fired, I already have three jobs. I'm, I'm hoping to get that up to five, but we'll see how it goes. And, hey, the dad. I, mean, I also have four. Ch- I, should, I should mention, I also have four children, which is really the focus of my life. You know, all I care about is this weekend, I'm, I'm coaching my uh, ten-year-old and a seven-year-old. I'm a co-manager for their baseball team, so that's really all I care about. The fact that with Steve Levy, by the way, ESPN great. He and I are both assistant coaches. Oh, He's nice. got twin boys, so really, I, my focus more than anything with all these jobs is little league. I just got to get my kids through and not uh, not hurt themselves, and hopefully rack up some wins for the next uh, six weeks. I was talking to Damon Hack yesterday as triplets, and he was saying the same thing that like the greatest joy in his life right now is coaching his kids. I'm like, all right. Oh, it's awesome, man. Yeah. No, yeah. How old is your daughter? She's going to be three in June, so probably next year. Maybe she starts t-ball. Or so she, I mean, she already plays hockey. She calls it hockey, but it's really skating oh, yeah. lessons. You know, there's no sticks or pucks or anything. Just learning how to skate. Yeah. But I kind of let the coaches do their thing because they're absolute artists at teaching little babies how to skate. It's amazing. Um, yeah, no, it's awesome. Think how much we love sport. I mean, actually have your child you love more than anything doing sports. I mean, it's, 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 it's love upon love, man. It's, it's, it's uh, incomparable. Well, listen, Adnan, I owe you more than I could say because I'm an idiot and I screwed up yesterday, and I apologize to you for that. Uh, but you're 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 on the top of my list forever for doing this again today. I appreciate it, and uh, hopefully, if I reach out again, you won't think, "Oh, that idiot." I can't. <laughs> but uh, no, no, no. I'll just I'll just know there's a chance I may have to do it twice. But <laughs> listen, we've all been there, buddy. No apologies necessary. I appreciate the time, Steve. Best of luck to you and, and with the podcast. Thanks, buddy. Okay, man. Tall, could have used a few pounds. Tight pants, points, hollering out. She was a black hat beauty with big dark eyes and points all her own, sudden way up high. All right, I want to thank Adnan Verk for being on the podcast today, being the first guest back and the second guest back before we get into the book club. 
is the talented Paula Bennett. How's it going, Paula? Good. You talk right into that microphone, nice and loud, okay? Uh-huh. All right, you tell us. What's going on? What's new in the world of Paula? The crack crack coming out tomorrow. What's tomorrow? You got to talk in the microphone, baby. Mm. What do we buy mom for Mother's Day? New slippies. New slippies? Did she like them? I'm not saying now I often call you Paula the mini nurse. Are you a pretty good nurse? Uh-huh. You take care of your dad? Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for being on the podcast today. Say bye to the people. Bye to people. <laughs> All right. All right. So I just wanted to get a little bit of a check-in from Paula there. All right. Thanks to Adnan Verk. Let's get back on track. The book club is next. Now, the book club, look at we would have never had Frank DeFord on the podcast, Artie Lang on the podcast without the book club. The book club does and always will serve its purpose. It's to get guests. That's why I do it because nothing motivates someone to be on an independent podcast more than trying to sell a book. It's just a fact. People work really hard on their books and they want to sell them most of the time, I guess. I thought. Uh, it's not always that easy though. So, all right, this is okay. First of all, as of right now, these are the two books that we're featuring The History of the Future, Oculus, Facebook, and the Revolution that Swept Virtual Reality by Blake J. Harris. He's the author of Console Wars, which is a book club book of the year. He's someone that the podcast has had a fantastic relationship with. He sent me advanced chapters of this book, he has sent me sure I've gotten advanced copies of the book. Right now, he's totally MIA. I don't know where he is. I want to book him. I want to talk to him about the book. I read it in the hospital. I can't find him. Uh, but I love Blake. I Hopefully he resurfaces. I got to think he will. Uh, and when he does, we'll book him. And the history of the future, Oculus, Facebook, and the revolution that swept virtual reality. I have a copy of it to give away. If you're interested, you can email me, thesportscasters at gmail.com, and I will mail it to you. Now, the other book is something that was getting a lot of buzz when I was in the hospital and I wrote an email to the publisher and I said I love a copy standard pitch they got right back to me inside the empire the true power behind the New York Yankees it's by Bob Klapsich and uh, Paul Solotarf Solotaroff Solotaroff Paul Solotaroff I'm going with that and I read the book in the hospital it's a great book really interesting I really enjoyed it and I Wrote back to the publisher and said, I read it. It's great. I'm ready to have them. Never heard back crickets. So I find Bob on Twitter. I say, hey, Bob, let me let me tell you what's going on. Let me DM. He does that. He gets right back to me. I mean, I emailed him on 425, and I had an email back on 425. He says, sure, Steve, this won't be a problem. Uh, Paul, my co-author, is already immersed in his next book project, so I'll handle this on my own. When are you trying to get this done by? So I wrote back to him. Again, still 425. This is great. Just let me know. I've emailed him on 430 and on Sunday. I don't know what happened. Bob's gone. I'll give Bob till the next week. Uh, and if not, this book is just dead to me. Look, I liked it and I'd love to promote it. And I got a copy to give away. And if you want a copy, again, it's the sportscasters at gmail.com. I got a copy of both of these books. And I'd be glad to mail them to anyone who's interested. Uh, I'm sure Blake will surface. I don't know about Bob. I'll try. I'll try another time or two. But 
Yeah, it's off to the next uh, very soon. All right, that's the book club update. That's where we stand. I don't know where these guys are. Hopefully they surface. Thanks for Paula for being on the podcast today. What's next? Greg Wyshynski, the Puck Daddy, formerly the Puck Daddy, uh, now with ESPN, a guest on episode two of the podcast. I just thought of this. We had Jeff Passan on the last podcast. He was on episode one, and today... Greg Wyshynski from episode two. So let's take a break and we will be right back with Greg. All right. Our next guest is from the state of New Jersey. And he was on episode two when he was the puck daddy at yahoo.com. Today he writes about hockey for ESPN.com and also has two successful hockey podcasts, a warm sportscasters. Welcome to Greg Wyshynski. What's up, Greg? Oh, nothing much. Playoff hockey uh, and the like. So is it like when you work for Vince McMahon and you get super over as um, like the big boss man and then you, you take the cash to go to WCW, but Vince owns big boss man, so we can't call you that anymore? Like is Puck Daddy intellectual property of yahoo and i can't call you that anymore i mean they technically own it i mean it was never mine it was a name that we came up with for the blog when i worked there it's uh me and jamie Matram came up with the name uh replacing the nhl experts blog as it was called at the time um but they don't use it anymore i mean it's not it's it's not a uh it's not a name that they use anymore they got rid of the blog names uh the, you know, Ryan, my, my friend and podcasting partner ryan lambert uh does his thing there still but he doesn't write under the puck daddy banner and what's been funny is that i've been doing this show called the daily wager on espn news every day um it's the first uh gambling centric show that espn's done and they have me on to talk hockey and they sort of resurrected the name as i guess my uh my wagering persona so <laughs> i don't i don't i don't think yahoo cares no c and d's uh, yet I, no, not at all. I don't think that it really is going to matter all that much. So it's been fun to to have it, to, you know, revert back to uh, Puck Daddy uh, occasionally when I do the show. I always hear Opie from Opie and Anthony say, like, how much he hates Opie, though, and how, you know, it's just he's stuck with it. Did you kind of, when you left, like, did you, but did you like Puck Daddy? Or I know I was being silly at first, and now we're getting serious about it for whatever reason, but um, did you like look at it as like oh, i'm glad i'm away from that and now it's back or we're i don't know where do you stand on no it never no, it's it fun. never bothered me I yeah mean, one one because it was never it was just the name of the blog and then like people kind of just just like called me it which was was sort of weird for a while but then you know i've come to realize that um that in many cases i think it was just people that didn't want to attempt my last name would just go fuck daddy <laughs> right instead of trying to attempt wachinski uh, and then the, the only thing that bummed me out about it is that I always figured that it would be kind of like uh, Doctor Who, where, you know, it, it, when I was going to leave that gig at some point, someone else would just take over. They'd become the new Puck Daddy and, and so on and so forth. But uh, but uh, I guess, you know, as as to be expected, when me and, and Leahy and, uh, and Jen and Josh and everybody else, uh, uh, you know, departed either through uh, our own... <laughs> Our, our, our own uh, accord or, or because they were shown the door for financial reasons. Um, y- you know, the, the blog kind of died after that. So there was no really reason to expect the tradition to continue really with uh, with Yahoo. I used to have a bunch of Yahoo people and they've all left. Like Passon's gone now. Wetzel's still there though, right? 
Yeah, Wetzel's still right for them, I think. But, yeah, and Wetzel and, and Wetzel, Forty, uh, Charles 40, Robinson. Yeah. There's a, there's more than a few people that are still right in there um, that are just tremendously talented and, and would be you know top of the pops with any you know media company they work for. But, and I read uh, Lambert stuff. You know often. what I, I was. Lambert's great, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm happy that, that he's got a platform still for, for his stuff because I think it's great. But, you know, when I worked there at a time when it was a, you know, it was a real murderous row of people working there. I mean, not only the columnist you mentioned and, and Woj was there, but also, uh, you know, you had Skeets there for a long time before he went off and became a TV star. Um, you know, so many, so many guys that I worked with there um, and, and still – Kevin Kadek and Jay Busby are there as well, doing the the writing thing. Still, it was it was a really fun time, and you know, for a few years there, when all the blogs had goofy names, and we were able to kind of have carte blanche. I think it was really, in, in my opinion, the the best version of, of the blog kind of format that you could possibly want of just people taking ownership of what they did and, and being adventurous. And, reinventing the wheel in a lot of ways and, and it's been a, a real thrill for me to see the people that i came up with get shots in other places to uh do great things uh we were talking we were talking about it uh geez i lost my train of thought oh we were talking about when you first came over to espn and you were kind of talking about what you thought it might evolve to and where you wanted to go with it and you mentioned being on the gambling show now so you starting to do a little bit more TV. How has the transition to ESPN been? And are there still some things out there that you really want to do more of? Um, that so We were talking to Passon about this too. Like when he switched over, he's like, well, you know, you switch over to ESPN and you just think about all the possibilities because they got one hand in everything. And you start to think, well, what can I get my hands in? And then you start the job and you start to do them. So where are you so far and where do you still want to go? Oh, it's been great so far. I mean, you know, Emily and I, I think have really, really, uh, changed the perceptions of the coverage there of hockey um, just because of, of the way we write and the way that we approach our writing and the way we approach our subject matters in kind of a, a, a different way. I mean, I, I, you know, in many ways, I think we've hit the same sweet spot that I hit at Yahoo, which is the ability to write really important stories about the news of the day or, or big issues like concussions or the ongoing women's hockey issues while at the same time writing really fun stuff. I mean, like, you know, Emily just wrote something about hockey hair. I did this huge uh, two-day feature on hockey in Alabama um, that was something that ESPN supported and funded for me to go there and do, like, a road trip there. So, you know, I feel like uh, the coverage is, is where I want it to be uh, and where I was hoping it would be, and I think people have resonated with it. As far as the other stuff goes, I mean, like, the Daily Wager's been great. I'm, I'm huge, uh, it's a huge pleasure to be a part of that and have a a daily spot on, on one of the networks um, and doing outside the lines uh, on occasion has been great too. And our podcast, ESPN and ice um, has been great, but I mean, like there's so much more that uh, I'm, I'm hoping to do there, you know, in, in my time there, like uh, not only on the TV side, but also really exploring some of the opportunities on the audio side. Uh, we do a podcast once a week. I think there's time to, to do it more than once a week. Um, there's, podcast projects that I have in development with them too. So it's, it's a lot of stuff and the sandbox is so big that sometimes you just don't even know where to start playing. Um, but you know, the first couple of years there, I think that personally I wanted to just make sure that uh, we got the basics down, that we really reestablished the brand when in covering hockey and, uh, and the decrease in the number of ESPN covers hockey jokes. Right. 
right. in the last couple of years, I think has been really exhilarating because it, it shows that I think that we're doing a really good job and people are gravitating towards the work. I want to ask you a couple questions about the women's hockey thing real quick. Um, I live in Buffalo. I have a daughter. I took her to a game. It was at the Harbor Center. There's 300 people there, if that. Uh, but it was fun. We had a lot of fun. The hockey was really good. Um, my daughter had fun. She loved it. She's been skating since she was one and a half years old. Uh, she skates once a week. She th- calls it hockey, even though it's really ice skating lessons, but she calls it hockey. You know, <laughs> she loves she loves the game. She can. She's not quite three, but she can skate. You know, She can uh, get out on the ice. She's got great balance. She can skate blue line to blue line. So I'm I'm trying I'm coming from I'm trying to come from a really good place here, but I don't understand. Like to me, it's all right. We have a league, and instead of working to grow the league, we're going to sit out and hope that the NHL will subsidize the league for us. Is that wrong? Is that not the message I was supposed to get? No, I mean that it's not the message you were supposed to get, but it's the message everybody hears. I mean, I don't, I don't think that's. I don't think they, they really want it to be the message, but that's exactly what's going on, which is, you know, the CWHL uh, folded in Canada mm-hmm. and it left us with the NWHL um, and the players don't really like the league. They don't trust the leadership of the league. They don't think that the model is sustainable insofar as getting all the things that they want, like health insurance and things of that nature. Um, so they, their gambit is the only way that they, that they think the NHL is going to get involved is if they step away and kind of drain all the oxygen out of the room uh, and suffocate the, the National Women's Hockey League. So whether that's the right move or not, I don't know. Ultimately, I think they, they buy the NHL at its word that as long as there's one women's league that's around, they're not going to step in and try to create anything to compete with it. So, I mean, their thought is that if you get rid of that one league and now you, you're, you've clean, cleared the playing field, the NHL maybe steps in. We'll see what happens. I mean, the one thing that I can say about it is that um, the concerns about the NWHL have been going on for years. Uh, Danny Ryland is, is, is a, a pioneer. She's done a really good job. She's done some really heavy lifting. But the finances for that league have always been a bit specious. And people have kind of, you know, not necessarily trusted the numbers or, or trusted the direction of the league. Um, but the other thing, too, is that when these women do kind of unionize and get together and, uh, and and fight for for something they believe in they've got a pretty good one loss record <laughs> you know i mean it's but isn't that with a national team that, i mean do, i mean yeah you, but this you but, need a national this team. is essentially the na- but this is the national team i mean it's the national team for the u.s it's hillary knight and all that and, and on top of that it's also the canadian national team players as well that i think are, are behind this effort so i mean you have the every uh, you know, elite women's player in North America, for the most part, um, is backing this idea that they're not going to play until they get it like an NHL back league, and it, yeah, that's a lot of that's a lot of force behind it. And again, like this debate's so fascinating because the minute you bring it up, then people bring up the WNBA and the money losses and all this other stuff. There is, without question, and you and I have both seen it because I also took my kid to a game. Like, if you keep the margin small. And you you play these games where they're being played, whether it's in you know practice facilities for teams or what have you, and then occasionally do a doubleheader with an NHL team. Like, there's a way to make this league work for not a whole heck of a lot of cost, and the return is is maybe not going to be financial, but the return is going to be the thing that the NHL has been searching for 
for decades, which is a way to reach new audiences and create new fans. And women's hockey is without question an avenue through which to do that. Um, and the NHL knows that. And we're also, or also not inviting, you know, Megan Duggan, uh, Duggan or, or Kendall Coyle, uh, Kendall Coyne to the All-Star game. Right, that so, was a hit. That was great. Um, that was great. Yeah, it was a huge hit. Yeah, it, it was, was a great. sensation. So, yeah. I mean, these guys, these, these guys in the league know that there are opportunities there. They just, they just have to, A, understand that it's not going to be a, a huge financial gain for the league, although maybe it could be if it hits right. And then B, in a perfect world, um, they, to go back to your wrestling reference from the start of the show, they treat it like NXT, and they, they hand the league over to uh, women who will run it and will you know, structure the management staff and everything else, and, and the NHL just stays the hell out of the way. Well, listen, I hope it works. Anyone who's, you know, anyone who's got a kid, you dream big for them. And I hope, you know, I hope my daughter continues to love hockey and plays it as a kid and plays it in college. And then there's this great league for her to play in. That'd be amazing. And if it's not my daughter, anyone else's daughter across the United States and Canada. So I hope it works. I just, I don't know, something about the way they've started this turned me off a little bit, but. I'm gonna, I'm oh, gonna yeah. just, I'm gonna hope for the best for them. I guess you know what I mean. Like I don't wanna, I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna go all in on the negativity about it. You know, I, it rubbed me the wrong way a little bit, uh, but I hope that they're just smarter than me and know what they're doing and it works out. So, um, mm-hmm. boy, but the Pagulas threw some huge, big time shade on them today, um, and I hope, <laughs> I hope that 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 the attitude that kind of jumped off of the text there isn't the attitude that's circling around the owners of the NHL. So that's just going to make it harder, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think their shade though was more towards the, the league and, and the way it was being run. And, and right. you know, the that idea that the idea is pretty, it's pretty clear that, you know, they're, they're going to support women's hockey when there's a model that they believe in. And, and so that's at least one thing you can take away from the, uh, them pulling out of the uh, Buffalo Buttes. Right. Okay, let's move on to the NHL playoffs uh, because they've been very fun. I saw an article, I didn't get a chance to read it because it was almost time to call you, saying that the analytics community is not surprised by Carolina. Is that true? Like the analytics community was jumping up and down before night one of the playoffs saying <clears throat> Carolina is going to make a run to the conference finals? Sure. I mean, not maybe not to the conference final, but the, the Carolina Hurricanes have been one of the analytic darlings this week for a long time. I mean, they... They're a team that typically is uh, uh, towards the top five when it comes to park possession. And, uh, and it's always been a situation where <laughs> one of two things happens. Uh, either they, they simply can't get enough finishers to um, put goals on the board despite the way that they play. Um, and then also there have been years when they, they haven't gotten the goaltending. And, and they got both things this year. And, uh, and it's paid off. And the other thing, too, is they have a, uh, there's a guy named Eric Polsky who is a uh, – a really sort of respected and, and beloved figure in the analytics community. And he's the, an assistant general, general manager for the team right now. And, and the way that this team has been constructed, the trades that they've made, the, the moves they made, many of them track back to his input on these matters and, and, uh, and suggesting the right course of action and, and the players that they sign and, and that they pursue. And, uh, and so the, the Hurricanes, for that reason, are also seen as, as a team that really plays sort of money puck really well. Um, but <laughs> it's funny because, you know, every time you, you see a, a team that, that, uh, you have all these old school, mostly Canadian columnists that are so quick to trample on them. 
Um, and yet, for some reason, none of these guys seem to be discussing the Carolina Hurricanes within that context, probably because they look like a bunch of myopic idiots uh, <laughs> because the team has been that successful. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, who is there a team alive still that isn't a darling of the analytics? Like, is there a <laughs> like, is there someone fighting the other way? You know what I mean? Um, like Colorado, I, mean, I know there, in the past I mean, hasn't been. There, there are teams that that kind of downplay it a little bit. Um, as far as like the teams that are left, Boston, Carolina, St. Louis, and then either the uh, the uh, uh, Avalanche or Sharks as we do this show. I mean, I would say maybe St. Louis kind of flew in the face a little bit okay. of the analytics community and just the way that the team was constructed. They made a couple of moves last summer. Uh, Tyler Bozak was a free agent acquisition uh, that wasn't necessarily applauded all that much. Um, but but even still, I think that there's you know some respect for the way that they've constructed that team too. So I don't think there's really one that you know people are like like, like if the Islanders had made a run this year, I think it would have flown in the face of of uh, the analytics community um, just because of some of the moves that they've made with regard to their fourth line and things like that. But uh, everyone that's still alive now, I don't think has been, you know, an egregious sinful team when it comes to analytics. One thing that, you know, I try to be a, like, I don't, I don't love analytics in the sense that I don't love, like, it's just kind of like a little boring to me. Not that I don't like, like, I'm not a dinosaur who, do, who thinks that there's no place in hockey for them, and they might even be the way of hockey. Like number one thing any team should have is a great analytics department. I'm just I just don't get that excited about it. You know, it's just eh. I'll just watch a game. You know, I talk about the game instead or whatever. Just kind of a personal thing. But the analytics community really did shit on Montour, and he 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 was a really good saver the last couple months. That doesn't prove anything about the quality of analytics. He may have just had a good month and a half. But I was just curious what you thought of him just because it came up and I would forget about it if later. Do you like Montour or just it, – it it's just an aside quickly. I thought, I thought it was the, the kind of move that, that Jason Bowerell need, needed to make to continue to bolster that blue line, which is such a, a weak part of that team. I, I mean, once he arrived, the Sabres were so uh, far yeah, the, out of – Yeah, the, the team was dead really, at that point. Yeah, they were dead. Yeah, I didn't, yeah. I didn't really watch – much of them, you know, on, on video or, or, or in games. So I can't really pass judgment on, on, you know, what he did overall. But, I mean, he was the type of player, and that was the type of move that I think was a, a smarter decision than some of the other ones that, that Bottles made. You know, I do feel a little bit bad for him. Like, he, he gets he gets Leonard, who spends his time here drunk and addicted, you know, then leaves, cleans himself up, thank God for him and everyone, has it. He's a Vezina Trophy finalist. Ryan O'Reilly's here. He says, like, you know, I'm bored, and I I kind of accepted losing and whatever. They got to run him out. He gets fleeced, it seems like. You know, one of the guys he trades for quits. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, like, it's like, man, can anything go right? Uh, what was your uh, reaction to winning the uh, draft lottery there, Mr. Devils? You pumped or what? What was that? Where'd that come I from? Was, I was very I – should, I, should, I should correct you, though, that Laner was – uh, a Tim Murray acquisition. Yeah, yeah, he inherited uh, him. I think I, I said inherited, yeah. right? Yeah, he. Yeah, that was a um, first round pick sent away too for him. Yeah, that was that wasn't the smartest move. But was, yeah, I'm pumped that the, that the Devils won the lottery, man. I, it's it's it's. Uh, you know, they've won the lottery before, but they didn't, they've not won it for the first overall pick. So the idea that all of a sudden, you know, Jack Hughes is going to be with this team for the you know foreseeable future and and potentially be a guy that you can market as a as a megastar is 
is something that's sort of alien uh, as a Devils fan because, you know, even though Taylor Hall's been great and Zach Parise was great and Kovalchuk was there, uh, it's still a team that, <clears throat> that that's best uh, players and most renowned players are definitely still on the defensive side. So it, it shifts the paradigm. And if nothing else, I mean, Taylor Hall is going into a contract negotiation. There's speculation whether he's going to stay in Jersey or leave Jersey. I think having Hughes there and Nico Heischer there as the one and two centers for the next decade uh, certainly increases the chances that Taylor Hall will find it to be uh, more palatable to stick around in uh, Jersey for a bit. Did you see Hughes' assist last night against Germany? Whew. Oh, yeah. He's, Pretty he's sick. great. And, and, Pretty you know, there's, sick. Been, there's been sort of this debate about whether he's going to end up being a center in this league or whether he's going to be more of a Patrick Kane type on the wing. And, you know, I think he'd excel at, at either role, but, um, you know, there's no question the Devils, based on how they're constructed right now, would much rather him pan out as a, as a center, I think, than on the wing. Real quickly, I know I'm jumping all around, but what did you think of uh, my friend Kenny Agostino's 20 games or so uh, in New Jersey? I think he was second in points on the team in the last 17 games or something. I know it was a depleted <laughs> roster at that point, but yeah. just, I mean, yeah. what did you think of his play in general? I mean, he was fine, but like you said, I mean, he's he's definitely getting opportunities that probably wouldn't be afforded if it were not for the fact that absolutely the team was so banged up and and literally no one's being rushed back to trying to dive down the stand. Right, it was almost the opposite. Like, hey, let's let these guys play in these roles and do an audition type of thing. It seemed like, which was yeah, probably precisely. probably good for him, and I'm sure he earned a one way contract somewhere for a year, whether it's Jersey or elsewhere. But you know, I watch him all the time, and I I kind of feel like he's probably the kind of guy who like. It's too bad there's not a league in between. He's like almost too good for the AHL and maybe not quite good enough to be a top six guy in the NHL. And in Montreal, first half of the year, he was doing a lot of really good things bottom six-wise, and then just all of a sudden they were done with him. So you never it's a tough mm. tough spot to be in. Uh, quickly, let's finish up with a couple things about the rest of the playoffs. Uh, who do you like going forward? Are you rooting for the Blues to finally get a cup? Are they good enough to to win eight more games. Uh, what do you think about the Colorado-San Jose winner? Colorado, I thought Colorado was going to crush San Jose because they looked so gassed at the end of the first round, and they looked so old and slow, and I thought Colorado would just skate circles around them, and that really hasn't happened. And then what do you think about uh, the two teams off in the East? Well, you know, in theory, the Sharks or the Blues in the Cup Final would be great. Um, the fact that the, you know, neither team has a cup. Uh, the Blues have a remarkable drought between finals appearances. The, the Sharks have a lot of guys in the team that I'd love to see get a ring. Like Thornton. Because yeah. I, I, I kind of root. Thornton, Katur is great, Pavelski. Like, all these guys that have sort of been there for years and, uh, you know, have had <laughs> peaks and valleys in the playoffs. I mean, it'd be great to see them in, in much the same way it was great to see the Capitals break through, to see the Sharks break through uh, for the same reasons. Uh, either of those teams would be great. Colorado, I mean, it, it, they're a great team, and I'd love to see a guy like McKinnon get rewarded for being as good as he is, but their time should not be now. Right, yeah, be, a couple years from now. Later. They, yeah. Oh, God, they're so good, and they're so young, and they've got so much more help coming on the way. It's it's going to be great. They're going to win eventually. Um, so you almost you almost want them to kind of step aside <laughs> and let someone else get a, get a crack at it before they uh, they start dominating. Um, and then out of the East, I mean, Carolina would be a great story, and and they've obviously uh, uh, done a heck of a job kind of reigniting that fan base and selling a lot of tickets, and they're going to be set up for years going forward as well. Um, 
So it'd be fine if they won. I think I'd prefer any of the teams in the West to capture the Cup than any of the teams in the East. And obviously, I'm leaving Boston out of the equation because Boston's won too much stuff as a sports yeah. town, and Enough. they, you know, they just don't need to win anything else. <laughs> <laughs> in 2006, when the Sabers and the Hurricanes played in the conference finals, the 300 level was almost all Sabers fans that whole time. I don't know. We'd get tickets this time around. That they got that building and really cranking and. I'm impressed. And the way they've turned around, like the Don Cherry stuff, brilliant, you know, with a <clears throat> bunch of jerks. And mm-hmm. yeah, brilliant. Just bravo to them. Yeah. And, and, and their owner, Tom Dundon, you know, took a lot of heat for a lot of reasons this year. The, the, the Alliance of American Football stuff and kind of coming in and being a bit of a maverick owner with the, with the, with the hurricane, some of the things that he did. And, uh, we know, one of the things he did was he said, look, I think that there's enough here for us to win. And I think that Rod Brindamore is the guy to get it out of him as head coach. And he was completely right. And, you know, when he hired Brindamore, everybody kind of laughed. It didn't seem like typical head coach material. And everybody was making jokes about Dundon, you know, having a desk in Brindamore's office to try to coach the team himself. And uh, at the end of the day, I mean, he was completely right. I mean, Brindamore plus Justin Williams, their, you know, captain. And, yep. uh, you know, that, that sort of leadership combination of those the ex-player and old player uh, paid off incredible dividends for that team. All right, two quick things, and I'll let you go. Oh, first, it's at Wachinski on Twitter, uh, ESPN.com. Of course, uh, ESPN, uh, you have the podcast with Emily, uh, which is great. We'll talk uh-huh. about that in a second. Um, real quickly, why is Connor McDavid an MVP candidate again? Like, Is it just the thing where he's in the top three from now until he retires, like regardless they finished last or second last in the West. Like, I don't know. Like, why are people voting well, for him this year? He, why was he the MVP this year? He wasn't He wasn't in the top three last year when they missed the playoffs. And, and uh, I think it was because there were three or four very distinct candidates last year. I mean, Hall, McKinnon, Kopitar. Uh, I think Giroux was fourth. Like, there were guys that had demonstrably great seasons on playoff teams, and you can point to them and say, okay, this is the reason why this team made the playoffs. This year, there was there was Kucherov, who was statistically the best forward in the league and, and led Tampa to an historic regular season. Uh, Crosby had a really, really great season in leading the Penguins to the playoffs. And, you know, statistically versus his teammates, you could see the difference every time he was on the ice. Those two guys were solid, but then after that, there was a lot of different guys that could have been voted in for that third spot, and I guess it was just enough people putting McDavid third or fourth on their ballots where it all added up and got him in. Um, I'm infamous for <laughs> for believing that the Hart Trophy should not go to uh, a player that, whose team misses the playoffs. Um, I think when you it is an award that it, it, the, the context has to be there for how the team did the work totally. teams right in the award. Uh, um, you know, definition. And, you know, it all comes down to how, to how you define value. And I, I just don't think that a season in which you statistically were great, but your team didn't achieve the ultimate goal, which is just to make the playoffs. I don't think that performance has value at the end of the day. You could make the nihilistic argument that if your team misses the playoffs, that the better you make them, the worse it is for them because they should try to try to be vying for a higher draft lottery spot. So um, I, I just I'll never agree with there being a non-playoff player in there. Maybe you can make the argument if they missed like one or two points, then you know maybe he can be in there. But they were a country mile outside the playoffs. Right, so they were one it, or it's two a bit from of the a bottom. Bummer that, that, 
Yeah, it's a yeah. bit of a bummer that my 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 uh, my peers in the professional professional hockey writing association decided to bestow this upon him. But uh, yeah, it, it is what it is, and I don't think he'll win. So uh, you know, yeah, I, I just Kutrow. hope at the end of the day, <laughs> this this move that they made gets him back in the playoffs, so we can actually you know celebrate these performances in a different way. All right, last thing I let you out of here on this: we were on a podcast together, um, and that we were. Was, yeah, that was really fun. Um, Really want to thank Richard for doing it. It's the May tw- March March excuse me March twenty first edition of the Sports Illustrated or no he's not with Sports Illustrated the Richard Deitch Media Podcast uh, March twenty first right. uh, episode and Greg and I and Emily with Greg and also uh, Conrad Thompson and who was the other the other podcast burning burning everything down or I don't oh know. boy yeah the burn it down podcast burn it down yeah. burn it down uh, was there as well so that was really fun right. Yeah, it was. It's um, it, you know, I like I like when Richard uh, puts together those shows and puts together some columns that really kind of speak to the ins and outs of a certain part of the industry, whether it's you know people covering a certain beat or uh, a certain kind of writer or working for a certain uh, publication. So, you know, rarely do we all get to sit down and really trade notes on how we do these things. So to have a few people in different places in their careers and and podcasts of different uh, levels of renown kind of in the same place talking about the craft was a, a real fun thing to do. Yeah, when I pitched it to him, I was like, you know, book someone at the top, you know, book someone maybe on a network, you know, and then I was like, oh, then maybe like an independent, someone like, I don't know, me. Um, so it was nice of him to actually <laughs> <laughs> book me for it and to do it. But um, yeah, that was really fun. And uh, I'm sure it's probably his most downloaded one probably ever, I would guess. Um, I don't have an official stat. On that, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, probably up there. Uh, anything else you want to promote or mention? Well, yeah. I mean, along with ESPN and I, so we I, I do Fuck Soup with Dan Goes Brown and, and Lambert uh, every week. It's you know a podcast that can be anywhere from ninety minutes to two hours of hockey talk and pop culture talk and stuff. And we also have a Patreon uh, where we do a bonus uh, mailbag each week, and then also to bonus podcast each month on different topics and um it's just been really thrilling i mean yeah, i did the show with dave lozo for a really long time and lozo uh ducked out to concentrate on writing for katie nolan's show on uh, on espn plus and uh, the boys came aboard and the show definitely has steered <laughs> a bit heavier into the hockey talk uh but it is still as irreverent and profane as, as i like it to be so it's been uh, been great to see people um uh, get into it for the first time or uh, continue to like what we're doing uh, despite it being kind of a different vibe. Did you, do you like Patreon? Does that work? You like that? It works. I mean, I understand the issues with it and, uh, and there are actually people that have told me that like they would love to subscribe to our stuff, but don't want to do it through Patreon just because of some philosophical differences that they have. Um, but as far as the, f- the functionality of it goes, I mean, it seems fine. You know, the, it's, it's easy to post stuff. It's, it's easy to manage stuff. Um, there were, uh, a couple of, there, when, when Lozo left the show, uh, we actually worked it where we gave people a free month of it, um, which, you know, I thought would be trickier than it was, but our producer was able to kind of figure it out pretty easily. So from a functionality standpoint, it seems like it's pretty good, but I understand people's issues with, uh, the money they grab and, and some of the, the more political and philosophical things that have happened with the company in the last few years. Oh, no, I don't know anything about that. Slate, I guess, Slate set one up, their own kind of thing to Patreon, and 
Josh Levine has been on the show a bunch of times and he thought of me and came to me about it. And I just don't think anyone would sign up. So I was like, you know, and I, and with my health, I'm like, I can't be asking people for money, but there's seemed in terms of function, functionality, like really great, but I don't know. It does. It does well. I mean, I, I think, you know, in, in a different, uh, if things were different for, for me and, and for the boys, I mean, maybe we would have thrown everything behind the, the paywall there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not necessarily, not necessarily a fan of that in, uh, in totality because I think it's always good to have sort of a main show or a main product that's available for download everywhere. And then if people dig it, they can come and, and get extra stuff for the Patreon. I think that's the right model. Um, but I'd be comfortable doing it. I think people, people for the most part, outside of a few hiccups here and there with the RSS feed, have been pretty happy with the delivery of the content that they've had through it. Well, I hope that former Yale hockey great Daryl Jones heard this and appreciates the greatness of a Wachinski appearance on the sportscasters. <laughs> uh, Greg was on episode number two way back in 2011, and he's nice enough to be on today. I appreciate you always being willing to take some time, especially during the playoffs. I know you're busy uh, between all the stuff you just plugged. It's a lot of work. Uh, um, so to take 25 minutes out and do this with me is really appreciated. So thank you so much, Greg. And uh, good luck with Jack Hughes, hey, you no, bastard. Good luck with Jack Hughes. I wish Thank he was. So much, uh, yeah, I wish he was coming a little bit further uh, southwest, I guess, <laughs> or wherever we are. Well, it's all, it's it's always a pleasure when you reach out. I know we're going to have always have a good conversation. So, uh, any anytime you need me, just let me know. I want to thank Greg Wyshynski and Adnan Virk for being on the podcast today. Don't forget you can find this episode of the podcast and all of the episodes on our SoundCloud page. at soundcloud.com slash sports-casters. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever podcast catchers are catching podcasts. Don't forget we got another episode coming up this weekend with the great Joe Buck and Damon Hack. And you can find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. Email me at sportscasters at gmail.com. Don't forget to check out the quaz on jeffperlman.com slash the quaz to hear or read my interview that I did with Jeff. And, of course, Richard Deitch's sports media podcast. Uh, The episode released on the 21st of March uh, features myself, Conrad Thompson, and the last guest, Greg Wyshynski, among others. Uh, greetings from Allentown put out a new episode today about 1990 um, AWA. I just listened to it. Very cool. Check that out. Don't forget at a dater on Twitter for our buddy Adrian dater. Sign up for his stuff on BSN Denver. What a run by the Avs. Hats off to them. Took the Sharks to game seven. Uh, don't forget the place to be nation podcast. I was on episode 513 and I was also on the episode two ago. Uh, where I rebooked WrestleMania Five with the fellas, had a lot of fun, argued about Hogan and Savage with my friend Scott Criscolo. A lot of fun, loved it. Please check those guys out, Place to Be Nation podcast. They got an 80s song tournament kicking off soon. That's going to be awesome. Uh, we'll get to the tennis stuff and Western New York hockey on the next episode because uh, I think it's time to get into one last thing. And I'm going to do my best here. I'm going to try to keep my thoughts organized. I'm going to try to tell a nice linear story. 
and give everyone an idea of what my life has been like since March 21st. Because March 21st was kind of a big day. That Richard Deitch podcast went up. I put up a podcast. And, you know, a lot of what I talked about on Richard Deitch was about how my health is a reason for this podcast. And a reason why at times the podcast has had to go away. I wasn't feeling great around then. I wasn't feeling awful. But I kind of knew maybe in the back of my head that I wasn't doing as good as I probably should be. Uh, that maybe something was going to happen. I ne- now, I never imagined what happened was about to happen, but I didn't feel good. Uh, I bet if you would have asked me, I bet if you would have given me like 500 bucks and said, you have to bet that you'll either be in the hospital or not in the hospital in the next month, I definitely would have put it on hospital. So the 23rd was a Saturday, and my wife went out to dinner with her friends, and I was going to stay home and watch The Dirt. Uh, which was a movie that went up on Netflix about Motley Crue. And um, I was going to just hang out. Paula was sleeping over my mother-in-law's. Um, and, you know, I had not, it was me and Colston just hanging at the house watching the dirt. And as I'm watching the dirt, I was laying on the heating pad. Because sometimes when, sometimes when I don't feel that great, what would happen is my stomach pain would be so bad that it would kind of radiate out to my back. And if I sat on the heating pad, kind of calm my back down a little bit. And as I'm laying there watching the movie, it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And I, finally, I'm like, you know what, Colston, let's go to bed. So I tried to go to bed. That was like at nine o'clock. By 1130, Tammy was home. And I started saying to her, you know, I think I got to go to the hospital. And so finally I did, I did go to the emergency room and, you know, I just, I just didn't feel good. And I explained to them that in October I was in and I had an NG tube and I had a lot of the same symptoms and I thought I might have a blockage again. So they gave me a CAT scan and they came back in and they're like, I don't know about a blockage, but it's really significant swelling. We're going to admit you, you know, IV pain meds, IV steroids, GILC, you go from there. So I'm thinking, all right. You know, maybe it's just a flare. But if it is a flare, it's the worst flare I've ever had. Because I was just in a lot of pain and really didn't feel good. And, you know, the doctors came in in the morning. GI came in. The hospitalists came in. And I just kind of said, you know, I don't feel good. GI said, you know, they had looked at the CAT scan and they didn't think there was a blockage. They weren't going to put an NG tube in. And they thought, you know, bowel rest and steroids and pain meds and in a few days I'd be better. And one day would go by and they'd come back, how do you feel? And I'd say, I feel the same. And they'd come back the next day, how do you feel? I'd feel the same. Now, in October when I went to the hospital, it was the first time I had spent any significant time in the hospital in Paula's life. And she didn't do great. She, When I got home, she was excited to see me, but she wouldn't leave me. She wouldn't even go to my mother-in-law's house. She wanted to make sure I wasn't going to leave. She clearly had separation anxiety. So my wife and I talked, and we wanted to do it different this time. And right away from, like, the first day I was in the hospital, we had Paula come visit. And she got to see what was going on, and I could explain to her, and I think it was really good. And I would be telling her, you know, I'll be home in a few days. I'll be home in a few days because I kept thinking it's just a flare. It's just a flare. And every day they would come in, and they say, how are you feeling today? I say, I feel exactly the same. And I swear they were looking at me like I was crazy. Finally, the one GI doctor is like, you know, we've been kind of on the fence about calling in surgery to take a look. And I kind of spoke up and I'm like, why are we on the fence? Let them come in. What difference does it make? Is it, what, is it going to waste 10 minutes of their time if they come in and they look and it's just a flare? 
So I kind of insisted on it. And uh, the next day the hospitalist came in and he said something to me like, good news, surgery looks at it and they don't think you need surgery. And I said, okay. And then like four or five hours later, a surgeon came in and he said, I think you absolutely need surgery. He said he had looked at the, the CAT scan, that the swelling was significant and he thought I could benefit from a surgery. Now he also said that there's a chance he would put in an ileostomy for healing. He said that maybe one of the reasons the other two surgeries, the other two bowel resectionings, um, didn't didn't take is that uh, without the ileostomy, that maybe the surgeon was connecting good to bad. He said maybe two months we'll put it in for healing, and I said okay. So there was a lot of mysteries. Oh, so then the next day the the doctor comes in and he's like, "How are you feeling today?" I'm like, "Not good, but I'm having surgery." He's like, "You're having surgery?" He's like. Just, man, some of the communication in this hospital. But So it was set, and uh, April 3rd, I had the surgery. Now, there was a lot of sort of confusion about exactly what they would do. Uh, he wanted to try robotics. He wanted to try lasers. He knew there'd be scar tissue. He figured there'd be cutting. In the end, he did all three. He did a combination of robotics, laser, and a huge incision, obviously, with staples and all that. Um, he thought it'd be two to three hours of surgery. I don't know. It was closer to nine, eight, something like that. I didn't get back to my room. It was a night surgery at like six o'clock and I didn't get back to my room. I don't think until two or 3 AM. It was a really painful surgery. The first night was really bad. I, I ended up, I think, apologizing to my roommate cause I think I spent that whole first night kind of like just crying in the room and being in a lot of pain and missing my family and looking down and seeing just a disaster, seeing that I did, in fact, get an ileostomy, which essentially is a bag in the middle of my stomach that I poop in. Uh, and they did put it in. And, you know, my mindset at the time was I can do anything for two months, you know. So we'll get to that, more to that in a bit. So I was there, I guess, until the 10th of April. So about a week after surgery, I was there, and then I came home, and I was home for about a day and a half, and I was starting to get really sick, and really the pain was really bad, and I ended up going back to the emergency room and having a infection, a MRSA. So what happens is they come in, and they kind of pop, the, the resident, she popped a staple, and she kind of pushed on both sides, and there's just this explosion of, I guess, pus, for lack of a better way to put it, and... um so then I was readmitted and just for about overnight pretty much. And they did IV antibiotics and IV pain meds. And I felt a lot better the next day. And they sent me home on the 13th. So that was the last time I was in the hospital was April 13th. So basically almost entirely from the March 23rd to April 13th, I was in the hospital. I had my third bowel resectioning since 2004. I have an ili a temporary ileostomy. But now here's the thing about that. So... First of all, I had this, I was said I was in the hospital for like eight days after surgery, right? This bag never leaked a drop. I got home and every day this thing was leaking and the VNA nurses have to come and change it. And oh, I was miserable. It was so bad the first however many days. And then finally, my nurse Beth, shout out to Beth, one of the great VNA nurses in Buffalo, um, figured something out. And the thing is mostly staying on now. I think we've only had one problem since. We figured it out. 
Uh, and I'm healing. You know, I get better every day. Thank God. And, um, you know, on Monday, I took my daughter to uh, this baseball diamond near we li- where, where we live. And we took a nice walk. And that felt like a big step. And I'm getting around the house better. And, you know, I'm doing better. But the weird thing about this is I'm doing better uh, all for the right to have another surgery to get the ileostomy reversed. And then my GI doctor says that he very well might need to take more bowel, you know, which kind of just means starting the process again. And I've never kind of had that hanging over me where it's like you're you're in this struggle to try to get better. But you know that when you do get better, it just means that you're going to have more surgery like getting better is a good thing because then I get to not have this bag on and believe me, there's nothing more in the world right now. I want them to have this off. It's awful to have. I've been, I had a nurse come in that said she's had one since 1982. I have no idea how she's lived that long with one. I mean, I suppose it's like anything else. You just, it's your life and you get used to it, but I've had no luck so far getting used to having this. It's awful. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, uh, but I'm getting better. You know, I'm back to the podcast. Thank God. Even though, I think I've been horrible today. I, like, look at so I returned to the podcast to lose an interview. Disastrous opening segment where I think I was talking a million miles an hour. This is probably not much better. Uh, but there's been a lot of people who I need to thank, right? Like everyone in the place to be nation world and the chat there that prayers and thanks. Just great people. Thank you to them. You know, to all the doctors and nurses at Millard Fillmore Suburban, great people at great stays. I called the charge nurse more than one time to let him know how great the nurse nurses there were to me. Um, and you know, like my wife, like geez, we've been together since 1999. So when she married me in 2014, it's not like she was surprised that I had sickness problems. Like we had just went through everything in 2013 and 2009 and 2006 and 2003 and four when it started. I mean, she's been there every step of the way. And I know she's hating it this time because there's all these supplies around and this bag needs to be emptied and it smells. And she was on the couch the first week I was home and oh, terrible. I feel terrible. I feel like a terrible husband. Um, you know, that's the hard part, I guess, about this is just how it affects other people. Because, you know, for me, the world just kind of stops and I'm just kind of there and I don't know the day of the week or I don't, I don't know any of that stuff, but for everyone else, the world keeps going and now they have to try to figure out how to fit this thing into it, you know, and she had a make changes to her schedule at work and you know I take care of the baby every day and I wasn't there to do that and um, you know she just really stepped up and uh, I can't you know I can't thank her enough for it obviously you know and 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 I guess I'll finish up with with just talking about Paula you know she was a lot better this time thank God Uh, I think we did the right thing kind of bringing her in and explaining to her and showing her things and we call her Paula the mini nurse around here because she checks my bandages every night and she tells me to take my medicine and she's just the sweetest little daughter you know and 
It hurts me so much to think I might have hurt her or scared her in any way. Uh, but I always tell people this, like kids are resilient and she's resilient and, you know, who knows, maybe she'll fall in love with nursing or being a doctor or something and then something good will come out of it because she likes taking care of daddy. But, um, man, it's been a tough, a tough run. I, th- I think that's pretty much everything I would want to say about it. Um, I'm glad to be back. I'm glad the podcast is back. And uh, I, I guess there's a saying, right? Like, God doesn't give you anything you can't handle. And it's true. Like, I can handle this. And I've got, gotten through this much of it already. And soon enough, they're going to tell me it's time for that next surgery. And I'll be ready. Uh, and I'll march in there. And I'll lay back as stoically as possible. And let them do their thing. And then I'll start really healing, right? When that second surgery is over, I can start really healing and really getting past this and my last my first resectioning last 10 years uh this one only lasted six uh but hopefully uh the one that i have now will last a lot longer Face the battle.